Have you ever made an emotional financial decision you later regretted? Is your money working for you? How should real estate fit into your investment strategy? Welcome to the Orlando Real Estate Lifestyle, where we explore the intersection of Orlando real estate and your best life. I'm Phil Cruz, here to help you make the most out of your journey in the city beautiful. Today, I'll be having a conversation with a great friend of mine who just so happens to have a master's degree in financial planning and economics. And he's a certified financial planner. His name is Scott Perone of Retire Orlando, a member of Advisory Services Network. Scott will be sharing some stories about how to avoid major financial mistakes, balancing risk versus reward, and how real estate should fit into your investment strategy. Scott. Welcome to the Orlando Real Estate Lifestyle, and thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me, Phil. That was a very kind uh, introduction there. <laughs> Sounds pretty good, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Real quick, if you like what you hear out there, if you if you like what you hear today, and you're interested in Scott's services, I'll include a link to his website in the show description. You know the text describing the show below the podcast on your listening platform, and while you're there hook a brother up and subscribe to my podcast and leave a quick five-star review. It takes just 10 seconds. And hit the little symbol with the square and the arrow pointing up and share my podcast with a friend. And you can always find me on social media at underscore Phil Cruz. Now that's Cruz with a K. Now, Scott, let's dive right in. Right. You, spent, you spent almost 20 years working for large financial institutions, including mm -hmm. as vice president of retirement planning for Fairwinds Credit Union. Yep. You wanted to focus on your client's bottom line though, and not your brokerages. So you founded your own financial planning company in 2016. In your opinion, what is the most common financial mistake people make and how can they avoid it? Yeah, Phil, that, that's a great question. Um, the, the most common financial mistake people make is procrastination. Um, you know, we're, we're a nation of procrastinators. I think everyone listening on this podcast uh, drove around with the, uh, the, the gaslight on in their car for far too long. And uh, I'm guilty myself of actually running out of gas once. I, I won't <laughs> do it again, but uh, we're a procrastination nation. And, uh, and I see it all the time when it comes to financial planning. Uh, you know, people kick the can down the road and, you know, they, they put it on the shelf for another day. Um, I often see this in a few different areas. So one, one area would be just saving for retirement, right? And putting money into a retirement account or a 401k. Uh, you know, I hear a myriad of excuses. People say, hey, I, you know, I want to pay off my student loan first or, you know, I need to get a new car or I'll do it next year. And, uh, and several years go by and they've never saved a dime. And, uh, and essentially, that can be very costly, right? The longer you wait, the more you're going to actually have to save. And I'll, I'll give you a quick example here. Um, if we were looking at a 25-year-old, right, uh, just starting off in their career, starting to make enough money where they can carve a little bit out for retirement, and they were to put away 200 bucks a month um, at age 25, and they continued to save 200 bucks a month until they retired at age 65, and they got a 7% rate of return on that money. Um, by the time they were retired, their account value would have grown to $524,000. Wow. Um, so full disclosure here, you know, we can't guarantee uh, a 7% rate of return. You know, if you have a collection of stocks and bonds, chances are you're not going to get a linear 7% every year. We're going to have up years and we're going to have down years. But 
if we can annualize a 7% rate of return, it would grow to over half a million bucks. Um, on that same note, if you're that procrastinator and you couldn't get money in your account until age 35, and that's when you started to contribute to your retirement account, um, that, that extra 10 years is going to be very costly. Um, for that same person, that, that equation with all the same inputs going into it, 200 bucks a month, 7% rate of return, those 65, uh, that person's account value would grow to $243,000 uh, by the time they retire. So uh, we're looking at a difference of 281 grand simply by delaying 10 years. And over that 10-year time frame, you're only putting in 200 bucks a month, right? It's 24 grand uh, in contributions in excess of delaying till age 35, but it equates to $281,000 uh, over time. So you know, compounded returns over time, you know, we've heard the snowball, you know, uh, analogy before, and, and that's more evident, but uh, it's it's pretty, you know, pretty persistent with some of the younger generation. I see a lot of people just delaying. And as I mentioned, that can be very costly. Um, another area where I see a lot of people procrastinating is purchasing a home. And, uh, and you know, we hear a lot of excuses, right? You know, 2008's fresh in our memory and people don't, don't want to have, uh, you know, Scott. a purchase go down. Scott, let me let me uh, jump in there. Um, yeah. I'm going to we're going to discuss how real estate fits into um, the investor's profile a little bit later, okay. and I think that's a super important part of this conversation. Um, but just let's put a pin in that. I want to okay. get a cool. couple more uh, questions out first, and sure. that's yeah. a great explanation. So to recap, what I'm hearing is the number one financial mistake is 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 just waiting too long, and so. I would advise anybody out there, if you haven't started thinking about your financial future and savings and investing, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have, but maybe you don't have somebody like Scott in your corner. And that's something sure. I'm going to touch on a little bit later. Now, a quick segue here. Now, I'm a real estate agent and mm -hmm. one of my main lead sources are listeners like you. Mm -hmm. Hit me up via DM on social media at Phil Cruz, of course, that's Cruz with a K. And if you or a friend are looking to sell or buy a home in Orlando, hit me up, obviously, or just shoot me a text. My number is also in the episode description near Scott's website. All right. Now back to my guest, Scott. Scott, I know I have made some boneheaded investment mm -hmm. decisions based on pure emotion. Uh, right. I once invested in my best friend's company, which was having a high profile initial public offering and that's when a company uh, first sells shares of its stock to the public. And uh, it ended up, I ended up losing a ton. Um, to help the listener avoid my same mistake, can you explain what role emotions play in financial decision-making and how do you guide your client through those emotionally charged financial decisions? Yeah, it, it obviously it plays a huge role, right? Uh, you know, we're humans and uh, especially when it comes to money, emotions cause us to make good decisions and sometimes they cause us to make bad decisions. So um, I'll, I'll share a quick story with you. You know, last year wasn't a great year in the market. You may know that uh, at one point in time, the market was down 26% from its peak. Now, the, wow. those are normal years. You know, we had a lot of risk hit the radar. You know, we don't have years like that very often. And we could go on and on about the Ukraine or inflation and interest rates and, you know, kind of look like a recession was brewing. But, uh, you know, fast forward to now and we didn't have a recession. But when my clients were opening up their statements and logging into their accounts, lots of emotions were, were coming out of them 
when they were looking at their account values. And I had one particular client call me and say, Scott, I just, I can't take it anymore. Uh, I've got to get out of the market. And I knew this client was risk adverse. I had her in a conservative portfolio, but she still, you know, was down. And, uh, and again, emotions, you know, came up and I said, Hey, look, we, we got to buy and hold, you know, history tells us that these dips are temporary and, uh, and, you know, hang on to your money. You don't know when the market's going to bounce back and you want to be in it. And, uh, and sure enough, you know, she listened to my advice and we just had a review recently and she said, Scott, you know, thank you for, you know, talking me off the ledge because, uh, the reality is since the market bottomed out in October, you know, we've had a 35% run up from last wow. October to right now. And had she gotten out of the market, she wouldn't have enjoyed that. And, you know, again, as, as humans, we have emotions and the irony is when, you know, an investment or an asset is, is appreciating in value, our knee-jerk reaction is, oh, I, I need to buy some more of that, right? Let me get some money in and, and enjoy some of those returns. Um, on that same note, you know, when the market starts to pull back or any any asset starts to depreciate, people start to get nervous and they're thinking of ways to sell. Um, ironically, you walk into Target and something is on sale, you know, your knee-jerk reaction is, oh, yeah, I should buy that, Right. Yep. And I'm going to pick Maybe up I should buy three. <laughs> right. Uh, my wife comes home from Target with uh, bags of crap all the time. It justifies that, you know, it was on sale. And I'm like, great. So we just have cheap bags of crap, but it's still stuff we don't need. Right. Um, so when things are on sale at Target, you know, you're more inclined to buy when the stock market is on sale or even the real estate market, people are more inclined to sell. So when I'm working with clients, you know, behavioral science is, is big. You know, I have to understand, you know, their their experiences in life and, you know, what, what they experience financially and, and how they feel about money. You know, you could be working with a married couple where, you know, somebody came from a, a silver spoon family and had everything paid for them and went shopping for a new car when they were 16. And their spouse may come from a blue collar family and they value money and they don't spend frivolously. And, you know, what I try to do is figure out what type of person you are and how you feel about your money. And uh, and then I try to just provide clients with enough information that they can make an educated decision in the absence of emotion. So uh, it a is a challenge, but it takes time. And, you know, I have to get to know my clients very well in order to accomplish that. I think that's a perfect way to wrap up that conversation. Um, emotional emotions are, are a challenge in anybody's wow. industry. I, as a real estate agent, have lost a number of deals where somebody's feelings simply get hurt. Right. And we're, we're talking a half million or more dollar house on the line. And somebody who's ready to move their entire family into a brand new house walks away from the deal because of something somebody said, or they felt mistreated. Um, right. So it is tough, uh, but we are humans. And, and that's something that you and I have to deal with. Now, at the end, you mentioned how you deal with your clients. Now, I'm a firm believer in coaching. Um, professional athletes at the highest levels have coaches. Sure. Think of individual sports like golf and tennis. Novak Djokovic has a coach. Tiger, Rory McIlroy, they have coaches. To me, it seems like part of what you do, Scott, falls into the money coach category, acting as a guide to your clients. Can you discuss a scenario where your guidance prevented a client from making a major financial mistake? Uh, yeah, I, I had a client um, who's very politically charged, and uh, he, he, you know, can't have a conversation with him without bringing up politics. And uh, you know, he he came to me and 
said he didn't want certain companies in his portfolio because of their political beliefs. And, you know, I, I kind of said, hey, look, you know, that's silly. Money is green. It's not red or blue. And if some company makes a stance against, you know, something political, it, it's not relevant, right? We're, we're trying to make money. So um, now, ironically, his wife, on the other hand, could care less about politics. She said, Scott, manage my portfolio how you see fit. You know, I want to retire one day. I don't care what's happening in Washington. And uh, when I have my reviews with these, uh, th this client and his wife, um, you know, her account performance is always slightly better because <laughs> we don't have handcuffs on the portfolio and, and we can kind of invest as we please. So, uh, you know, I would say, you know, leave politics out of, um, you know, your, your investment decisions sometimes. I know people believe in things very passionately, but, uh, you know, for that client, he didn't listen to what I said and, and, uh, you know, his retirement's going to cost him a little bit more money than his wife's. So that's awesome. I love the the dichotomy of having a, a, a husband and wife where their 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 financial, their retirement assets aren't commingled. So you could you could literally track that. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. Um, and you know, what's funny, Phil, is um, earlier in my career, I, you know, I would always try to bring out emotions and, and understand how people feel. And uh, and people would get in, you know, some heated arguments in my meetings. And oh my I used to get really uncomfortable, like, how do I, you know, get this <laughs> back on track? You know, now I actually embrace those meetings because, you know, people are getting it all out and yeah. you really understand where they're coming from and, and how to best manage them and help them make good decisions. So, um, you know, part of the discovery process and, and helping people, uh, you know, when it comes to guidance. So for, for sure. I mean, that's kind of what a coach does. You, you got to ferret out the issues in the golfer's swing or mm -hmm. the tennis player's forehand in, in order for, for you to fix it. Um, I love that. Um, now, real quick, if you or anyone you know needs real estate help, point mm -hmm. them to me. Sure. Part, part of the reason I provide this free content to you is in the hopes that you, the listener, will think of me when it's your time or your friend's time to make a real estate move. Hook me up. And just take one quick sec to follow or like my podcast and leave a five-star review while you're there. Come on. You know it's easy. <laughs> so now, Scott, to my favorite question. Yeah. And it's it's my favorite question because I am shamelessly biased. And the question, <laughs> and the question is about real estate. Um, you've been a licensed certified financial planner for 20 years. How should real estate fit into someone's investment portfolio? So uh, in all honesty, Phil, it, it should be in everyone's portfolio. And I'm not just saying that because I'm on a podcast with a realtor. Uh, every <laughs> single one of my clients has real estate in their portfolio. Some of them own it in very different shapes and forms, but every single one of them has it in their portfolio. Um, now, what I would say when you're thinking about real estate in your portfolio, it's important to understand risk versus reward and what you're comfortable with. So there's so many different forms of ownership. All of them have very different rewards and very different risks. So I'll give you a, a quick couple of examples. Um, I have one client who has 90% of his net worth tied to real estate. He owns a dozen rental properties. Wow. He likes to touch and feel his investment. He's very comfortable with it. He's very handy. He can go to the house and, and rip the bathroom down the studs and rebuild it. Uh, that's a risk that doesn't bother him or keep him up at night. And the reward for him is rental income, which he lives off of. He doesn't actually have a full-time job. So mm -hmm. uh, for him, he knows what his risk and reward are and what he's comfortable with. Um, I have another client who owns an Airbnb in New Smyrna Beach. You know, they live here in Orlando. 
They love New Smyrna. It's their happy place, right? That client doesn't really care about rental income and creating a real estate empire. For him, the reward is I get a free beach house because right. the Airbnb income pays my mortgage. And then you might be working with somebody else who doesn't want to touch real estate at all, but they want to enjoy the income or the growth potential of real estate. And for a client like that, you know, we can we can invest in companies like home builders or mini storages or office towers and uh, and companies that have these properties collect the rent and then pay a dividend, you know, to the investor. And, and that's, again, income that they can live off of. So. When looking at real estate in your portfolio, I think it's really important to identify what your reward is and then, you know, kind of understand what type of risk uh, you're you're willing to take with it. Uh, one, one last story I'll share with you when it comes Please. to risk and reward. Um, I have a client who wanted to flip houses. And, you know, as you know, I, I flipped some houses in my day. So me and my client had some serious conversations about it. I think he was probably more enamored with, you know, what he sees on HGTV. And uh, so long story short, he goes and he buys a house and flips it. And, uh, you know, after the whole process, I was like, tell me about your experience. And he goes, man, I'll, I'm never going to do that again. And I was pretty surprised to hear him say that. You know, he, he said, you know, it was a lot. You know, he had to drive to the job site every day, make sure the contractors are doing what they're supposed to. And, uh, you know, when all was said and done, he just didn't have the time for something like that. So for him, you know, that that reward wasn't worth the risk. And, you know, when all was said and done, that that didn't make sense for him. But, you know, somebody else who might have the time and, and you know, the knowledge of, of construction might be a lot more prone to that. So, uh, again, just thinking about what your goal is and uh, and that might help dictate, you know, what type of reward you should expect and, and the type of risk you might be willing to take on. So, but yeah, again, it should be in everyone's portfolio and every last one of my clients have exposure to it in some shape or form. So. Well, awesome. Thanks for sharing those stories, you know, and, and yeah. you know, certain aspects of real estate that you discussed are maybe not something that people would have thought of. For example, be having stock in a construction company like, I don't know, say Lennar or, um, you yeah. know, that's not something I was thinking about or companies that deal with office towers or, or other funds that deal with real estate. So even if somebody out there, the listener isn't necessarily thinking about buying multiple rental properties, they can at least diversify a portfolio with somebody like you and include yeah. a piece of a large uh, corporate builder or what have you. Yeah. Um, Scott, this has been a great conversation. Um, thank you for being a guest on the Absolutely. Orlando Real Estate Lifestyle. Thanks for having me, bud. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Um, remember, um, the link to Scott's website is in the show description on your podcast platform. And for more Orlando Real Estate and Lifestyle tips, be sure to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at underscore Phil Cruz. That's Cruz with a K. And come on, just take the two seconds to like my podcast and share the link with your friends and family. And always know your best life in Orlando is within reach. Keep embracing every moment. Cheers.